We're going to get started in Acts chapter 7. And we'll finish up Acts chapter 7 this morning. A lot to look at in these remaining verses. And it's such a, this book has so much in it, so much for us to learn. Uh, and not just to get through it, but to let it go through us. That's the idea. But Acts chapter 7, we're studying the, the Lord's first New Testament martyr. The first martyr of the church. And last time we finished out on Stephen's application, making his application to his sermon in verse 51. And so we'll pick up there in just a few moments, Acts chapter 7 in verse 51. So be prepared as we start to do a little bit of page turning today. We have some things that are brought out in this last section of chapter 7. We don't want to just pass over it with just a few like surface comments. We need to get into this here. And we're going to learn about the end of the Mosaic Dispensation. The end of the Mosaic Dispensation. I might just get my whiteboard for just a moment just so I can put that in picture form. So we've been talking about dispensations, and uh, it's it's not entirely accurate to say that a dispensation is a period of time. That's not entirely accurate. A dispensation, if you think about God dispensing something. Uh, you go into the uh, Mexican restaurant, the uh, Las Troncas, if that's how you pronounce it, down in Ripley. You walk inside of there, and there's this big bubblegum dispenser, you know, and you put your quarter, probably these days it's probably 50 cents, and then you watch the little bubblegum go all the way down the little spiral slide, and kids love that, and that's dispensing a piece of bubblegum to you. That's like dispensations in the Bible. God is dispensing something new to mankind, to his creation. <clears throat> so he deals, that's one way I want you to think of it. Also think of it this way. God deals with his people in different ways at different times. God deals with his people in different ways and different times. So you had <clears throat> uh, the Adamic. The Adamic Covenant, what we call the Adamic Covenant. And that was back in the Garden of Eden. And uh, we would call that maybe... uh, ...6004 B.C. Those dates are taken from the Bible. So when you add up the genealogies that are given in the Bible, the Bible tells us when creation was... And it was 6004 B.C. Never mind what the History Channel says. They're liars. Uh, God's not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. So uh, the History Channel and their evolutionary scheme, you're going to watch that fall like a house of cards probably before the end of your lifetime. There's already major scholars, professors in schools such as Harvard who say that Darwin's evolution uh, teaching is snake oil. Uh, meaning it was a hoax, somebody trying to make a, a buck off of a sucker. And there's plenty of suckers in the United States that fell for it. Um, <clears throat> so Darwinian evolution is a hoax. The Bible says Adam was created 6004 B.C. 
you had God dealing with Adam and Eve in the garden differently, differently than he dealt with Moses and his people. What are, what are some of the ways that it was different? Brother Clifford, you want to uh, throw in here? What Adam and Eve were supposed to do. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They had everything. Yes. And Adam and Eve here in the garden, uh, were they not innocent? They were innocent. They lived in paradise, uh, and they still got into trouble and fell into sin, even though they lived in a perfect environment and a perfect community. So you'll go into community college or introductory undergraduate studies, and they will teach you in sociology that if if you improve a man's environment... If you put him in government-funded housing and improve his opportunities to get work, that, that will improve the ills of society, such as crime. Well, if you're a Bible believer, you know that's a farce. You know that's a lie. See what I'm saying? All throughout life, public education will lie to you because they don't know the truth. They live in darkness. They don't have the Bible. Uh, there used to be a time in this country where even politicians were trained up on the Bible and knew better. So <clears throat> they lived in innocence. They lived in a perfect environment, and guess what? They fell into sin because the devil was there, right? By one man, sin entered into the world. So therefore, they're no longer living in an innocence, and they're no longer walking in fellowship with God, unhindered fellowship. So, right. Were there any laws? Were there any laws there? No, we, we don't need laws if there aren't criminals and lawbreakers, right? The reason why there's a law out there is because somebody has done something wrong. We had to make a law against it, right? Did you want to say something? Yeah, they were told, don't, in where they were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Yeah. Law, uh, well, yeah, they had one prohibition. That's true. Yeah, Pam brings up the point that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat of that. So there was one thing that they were not supposed to do. That's true. Yes, the next generation, we go downhill real quick. They commit murder. But there was no need for the Mosaic law, right? Not yet. But we know this from studying the Bible. The law was written in their hearts. The conscience was there. So they knew, you know, when Cain killed Abel, he knew in his heart it was wrong. He knew that because he had a conscience. And he had those things written in his heart. The the law is a reflection of God's holiness and God's person. And so we know inherently, all over the world, people know inherently it's wrong to take another man's wife. It's wrong to kill your children. It's wrong to kill your neighbor. They know these things. It's wrong to steal from your neighbor. You know, that belongs to me. Don't take that. That's mine. You know, we know this. The difference is God dealt with Adam and Eve differently in the garden. Now, there's other dispensations... Other than that, but let's just come up to 
1491, so we don't muddy up the waters. Here's 1491, and here's the uh, Mount Sinai, and the Law of Moses. So let's just call this the Mosaic Covenant. So at the Mosaic Covenant, God started dealing with people uh, differently. How did he deal with people differently? Not people all over the world, but his people, his brand new nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. How did he deal with them differently? So God deals with people differently at different time periods. It always ends in man's failure. That's another thing about dispensationalism. Every dispensation ends in man's failure every time every time adam and eve in a garden perfect situation failure the uh the uh, dispensation of government the age of government uh underneath noah and the new government that god formed how did that end failure you know it always ends in failure human government ends in failure same thing with the mosaic uh law the mosaic covenant and the dispensation that we find here it will end in failure but how did it change well for one thing we always go back to the dietary restrictions because that's just easy to spot uh, there were restrictions on their diet they couldn't eat what you, you and I can eat today okay um, there were some good things I had yesterday at that we went to a wedding down in Kentucky and uh, I won't give you the whole story but they had an hors d'oeuvre table now this was smart I thought this was a smart mama who planned this thing for her son and for her son. She had after the little wedding ceremony, which was outside up on top of a big hill with a beautiful view, panoramic view all around you in Kentucky, and the minister out there, you know, and they had all this stuff. So we were sitting on like little rough wooden pews, basically. And we're all sitting there, and there's storm clouds all around us. It hadn't started raining, but I'm thinking any minute, the lightning is, if God does not approve of this wedding, a lightning bolt is coming out of the sky and going to you know, burn that little tree behind them or something like that. But um, they, they did a lot of things that were different that I've never seen before. Uh, and one of them was they had an hors d'oeuvre table. So when you got done with the wedding, everybody, was, the, re, the recessional, and everybody left to go into where you were going to eat your meal, which was a big barn. And it was pretty neat, too. It was rustic looking. Well, you know how it takes forever for the family to get photos done? And you're just sitting there waiting. And you're like, I don't even know how long it's going to be before they cut the cake, you know? Um, at least that's the way I'm thinking. So they had an hors d'oeuvre table. So we were all in line. And I was like, uh, you know, telling the kids, let's go get some appetizers. And they said, what's an appetizer? And I said, well, you'll see. And they had all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was fancy. Like stuff, I didn't even know what it was. And uh, I just assumed it was cheese. And, uh, but then they had meats. It looked like salami, but it was something else. And I don't know what it was called. But anyways, that, that, that meat there, that salami, and then they had pork, you know. There were things on that table that were off limits to a Jew, and even a Jew living today. So they couldn't have that pork that was on the table. Little, you know, little, little uh, hot dog thingies put in the barbecue sauce they can't have that stuff so that is one thing that's different but not just that they uh were under different dress code laws on relationships um god used them in different ways they god used those people to exterminate 
the Canaanites. That's something that people struggle with when they start to read the Bible. Um, God dealing with people in different ways in different times. Okay, uh, <clears throat> or Noah. When Noah preached, you know, let's go back a little bit earlier. When Noah preached, he was a preacher of righteousness, and he preached to people. Did he preach, Jesus Christ died for your sins? No. Did he say, Jesus is going to show up one of these days, and he's going to die for our sins? Did he say that? No. He said, you guys are wicked. Get on the boat if you want to survive God's judgment. Yeah. And so the, the ark is a picture of Jesus, but he wasn't preaching the gospel. God was dealing with people in different ways. God was judging the human race. Now, you, you've got a dispensation with Adam. You've got a dispensation with Noah, a, a Moaic dispensation, God dealing with people in different ways at different times. From Mount Sinai, the Mosaic covenant that was cut there between God and his people, and they made a vow to God, just like a woman makes a vow to a young man on her wedding day. They made a vow, promised to be faithful to that covenant. Well, what do you think happened? They did not keep their vow. So, you have the Mosaic Law that goes for just about 1,500 years, let's just say roughly 1,500 years, until Jesus dies on the cross. And Christ, the Bible says, is the end of the law for righteousness. Now, these Jews were commanded to keep the law for their righteousness. If they decided to become a rebellious sinner and break God's laws on purpose, God says they would be cut off from their people. That's different from you and I today. That's not what God says about us. We are not saved by the law. We are not under the law. We don't live by the law. We live by faith. Yeah. By grace, through faith we're saved. So something changes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And then when God is still dealing with his people, the Jews, uh, up to Acts 2, still dealing with his people, the Jews, still preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is not the same as the gospel of the grace of God that Paul preached. Acts chapter 7, guess what happens? It's the end of the Mosaic Covenant that's no longer being offered. The kingdom is no longer being offered to Israel. And at this point, from Acts chapter 7, we'll see what they do with Stephen. God rejects them. And you will not see another miracle in Jerusalem throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Pay attention to that. Yes, yes. Yep, that's true. Yes. And uh, he, had, he had rejected them in the Old Testament, right? Now he's rejecting them again under grace. Okay? So we could make it simpler. So what you'll see as we study the book of Acts, you will not see another miracle in Jerusalem. Why is that? Because the miracles are signs for the Jews to try to save Israel. And, uh, yeah, the next time they're going to see miracles, it's going to be in the tribulation. That's right. And you watch for this stuff in your Bible, and you start to see there's a lot more there than you're going to get like just on your first glance through the Bible. So what you have, let's put it this way to make it a little bit simpler, 
What you have is you have the law, and then here you have grace. You are in the church age. You are in the dispensation of grace. Now, God has been dealing with people through His grace the whole time. But we're talking about how He's dealing with people right now, okay? How He's dealing with people. We're making the distinction between the law and, and grace because if you don't get this right, you'll never get your Bible right. If you don't get this right, you'll think that if I somehow forfeit my salvation and walk away from Jesus Christ, I'll lose my salvation. That's uh, free will Baptist theology. That's, that's incorrect. Now, that's correct under the Old Testament dispensation. Under the New Testament dispensation of grace, you are saved by the grace of God and you are secure in Christ and you live by faith. Yes, reserved and sealed. We studied that in the men's Bible study. Um, you're kept by the power of God um, till the day of redemption. So what we're doing now is we're going into an age of just pure grace. Why? Why? God deals with people differently at different times. God dealt with the Jews under a, a specific agreement, a covenant agreement of the law. And they agreed to it, and he dealt with them for about 1,500 years, 400 of it being silent. And he proved to them that, first of all, you always resist the Holy Ghost. You resisted all the prophets who rebuked you for not keeping the law, and you killed them. Isaiah, they put him inside of an old dead log, old hollowed-out log, and sawed him in half. You know, that's history. That happened. So he, he shows them that you failed to keep the law because we're not capable of it. So under the New Testament church age, the dispensation of grace, we are to see that it is not possible to keep the law for salvation. It's a great tool to teach us that. All right, so now that we've said that, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Ye stiff-necked, now this is Stephen really laying it on him thick here as he brings his application. You know, stiff-necked meaning stubborn and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He's saying you're not even really Jews uh, spiritually. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. That was the theme of his whole message. Okay? That right there uh, shows you that John Calvin's false teaching of irresistible grace um, is incorrect. It is false. John Calvin taught that once the Holy Spirit starts to deal with a man in salvation, he cannot resist it. He will be saved. That is not true. Uh, that is shown to be false because the Jews, always being dealt with by the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives looking at the city of Jerusalem, weeping, saying, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wing like a mother hen would gather her chicks. Uh, I would have, but you would not, Jesus said. So irresistible grace is found to be incorrect. Uh, he said, you always resist the Holy Ghost. And he brought up, he brought up three men, right? Joseph. What did the Jews do with Joseph? Well, they rejected him, and God made him a leader, right? And then Moses. What did the Jews do with Moses? 
Well, I mean, it goes back to Abraham. Abraham was the first one. But what did, what did the Jews do with Moses? God raised him up to be a leader, to lead his people, and the Jews rejected him. Jesus shows up. What did God do with Jesus as their Messiah? God raised him up to be a leader, to lead his people, and the Jews rejected him. That's his whole point and that whole sermon. So he's saying, you, and he puts it on this council, which we believe is the Sanhedrin, which is like the Supreme Court of the Jews. He puts it on them. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which have showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. Mount Sinai, Moses. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So they were so mad, they were biting him and they were about ready to drag him out of that council and he just wouldn't stop. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. All right. So at this moment, this is the end. This is where we mark the end of the Mosaic dispensation because this is the final rejection in Jerusalem of the kingdom gospel. The final rejection of the kingdom gospel that was preached to Israel by John the Baptist. Okay? John the Baptist shows up and what does he start preaching? Does anybody remember any of it off the top of your head? What does John the Baptist start preaching? Yep, he starts preaching that the Messiah is coming. He's coming. And then he says, the first word of his preaching was repent. He's calling everybody to repent. And he says, like, make the highways straight, make the crooked paths straight. Uh, make the valleys level, you know, level the mountains and bring the valleys up, make it level. What he's saying is he's saying, get right with God. Get your, line, get your life in line with God's word. And he's saying, get ready. And he's saying, because, he says, behold, the kingdom is what? At hand. The kingdom. So he says, the kingdom is at hand. Now, why is that? Why is the kingdom at hand? It goes back to what Clifford was saying. Because... He was there to be the forerunner to announce the Messiah's arrival. The kingdom was at hand because the king was there. Make sense? Okay. So the king is there. The kingdom is at hand. When Jesus sent the disciples out to preach, he called his 12 men, right? He sent them out to preach. What did they go out to preach? The average person probably thinks they went out to preach that the Messiah is going to die for us. No, they rejected that message. They didn't believe Jesus. Every time he brought it up, they got mad at him. <laughs> it was putting a dent in their plans to, to reign in the kingdom with him. Remember? They said, can we be on your left hand and on your right hand? So he, they went out to preach the kingdom, okay? The gospel of the kingdom. What is that? The good news that the king is here, and he's going to set up his kingdom if they would receive him. Okay, the first thing that they had to do was receive the Messiah. But there was something in there that they didn't understand. Okay, and that was about the atonement. They didn't understand that. All they had to do was to repent, like John told them, repent, 
Quit all of their wickedness, all of their idolatry, their hypocrisy. Repent and get right with God. And if they would have done that, Jesus would have brought in the kingdom. He would have gone to the cross. He would have died for their sins. And he would have brought in the kingdom. But they rejected their king. They preached the gospel of the kingdom. Not Paul's gospel. Not the gospel of the grace of God. Now notice what I said there and what I did not say. Two different gospels, right? That's what I'm saying. Those are two different gospels. The gospel means good news. It's good news, right? The king showed up and he's going to bring in the kingdom and we are going to be free. We have been in bondage to the Romans, right? To Greece, right? The Persians, uh, the Babylonians, They've been in bondage, the Egyptians. The king is here and he's going to set us at liberty, set us free. That was good news. So what I'm saying is there were two Gospels. The one preached in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is not the Gospel of the grace of God that was preached by Paul. That's what I'm saying. Okay? Now what am I not saying? What am I not saying? I am not saying that Jesus presented one way to be saved during the ministries of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his 12 disciples. I'm not saying that, Genesis, that Jesus said there's a, one way to be saved right now and then there's the gospel of the grace of God and that's a different way to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. So you have the gospel of the kingdom. If, you, if you're thinking that way, I want to clarify that because that will that will like completely miss the point you won't understand what's actually happening the gospel of the kingdom and then the gospel of the grace of god two different things so paul preached the gospel of the grace of god now, what is different about it? We've got to understand this. What is different about it? it the, the thing that's different is what Jesus is offering. Okay? Follow me and just tell me if this doesn't make like crystal clear sense. Because if it doesn't, we've got to get it ironed out. What is Jesus offering with the gospel of the kingdom? He's offering a kingdom. Freedom, right? Salvation. Not salvation. No. Yes, you've always been saved by faith. Thing is, in the Old Testament, you can lose it. Okay? You've always been saved by faith. Believing in God. Abraham believed God, and he counted it to him for righteousness, right? So let's make sure we're not making that error. Difference is, in the Old Testament, you can lose it. In the tribulation period, you can lose it. In the kingdom period, the kingdom age, the millennium, you can lose it. Right now, you can't. Okay? Chew on that for a little while. Look, that's what the Bible says. What you think or what you've been taught, I don't care. I'm not trying to be cocky. That's just what the Bible says. That's what I'll stand on. That's what makes Baptists different. Okay? The gospel of the kingdom. What is Jesus offering? Not salvation. We see the word gospel. We automatically think salvation. It just means good news. He's offering the kingdom and freedom from their oppressors. Okay? 
They're still under the Old Testament dispensation, the Mosaic dispensation. They're not under the grace of God. None of the revelation has been given to Paul yet. Now, what is the gospel of the grace of God? What is that offering? It's offering eternal life based on the gospel of the atonement. It's offering eternal life. And what you have to do is you have to throw yourself entirely on the mercy of God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Isaiah 53. They don't get that. The disciples don't get that right now. They don't understand it. They won't understand it until Philip goes and preaches it to an Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was a deacon. He wasn't even an apostle. Philip understands something before the apostles do. And then when Paul gets his revelation, Paul straightens everybody out. He straightens Peter out and everybody else. The gospel of the grace of God is not an offer of a kingdom. It's an offer of a salvation based on the atonement of the Lamb of God. Now, do we get the kingdom if we receive this gospel? No. Yes and no. But it's not so easy. You can't just say, yes, we get the kingdom. Listen, when we take up an offering up here, we're not taking up an offering for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's Southern Baptist bad theology. You are taking up an offering so that we can continue to hold gospel meetings. And when people get saved, they come into the spiritual kingdom. All right, don't take my word for it. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay? My kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom. And when you get saved, you know what this world wants to do with you? What it did to Stephen. I'd like to get rid of you. This, this whole country is busy trying to get rid of Bible-believing Judeo-Christianity. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. That's right. But what was he offering the Jews before Acts chapter 7? He was offering them a literal, physical kingdom on earth. Okay? It's deep. It's deep, but it's not that deep. It's not so deep we can't understand it. Yeah. Uh huh. So let's go back to what Jesus said. He said, My kingdom is not of this world, right? Okay. It's not a worldly kingdom. How do you make a worldly kingdom? Well, you have an army and you go about to conquer, like Alexander the Great. He sat down and cried because there were no more people to conquer. <laughs> you know, he was only in his 20s, right? That's a worldly kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. He had a kingdom which was totally different. It was preached in the, the gospel or the uh, Sermon on the Mount. If you have a kingdom, you have to have a king. Yes. So those who are described, he has to come back as a king. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what would have happened? Okay, he says that to Pilate. He says, uh, Jesus said... Um, if my kingdom were of this world, what would happen? My servants would fight. Remember that? So I'm not just making this up. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. And he said, kept trying to tell the disciples, I'm going away. There's more to God's plan. So when Jesus, uh, let's just say in Acts chapter 7, let's just say that he was accepted. 
that the Sanhedrin repented. Those were the Jewish leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Let's imagine that they repented at Stephen's preaching. They didn't. They didn't repent at John the Baptist's preaching. They didn't repent at Jesus' preaching. Some of them repented at Peter's preaching. But the Sanhedrin would not repent. They, those are the leaders, right, of Israel? They would not repent at Stephen's preaching. They killed him, just like they did the prophets. Acts chapter 7, what would have happened if they would have received him? If they would have received him, there would have had to be a tribulation period. Okay? There has to be a tribulation period. You know why? There has to be a tribulation period. Because it's prophesied. It's in the Bible. There's all scriptures prophesying this, that this is going to happen. Daniel. We studied it in Daniel, remember? So there'd have to be a seven-year. So probably what would have happened is Jesus would have come back. Now this, I'm just putting pieces together, okay? So just take this with a grain of salt. Probably there would have been a rapture of all the believers at that time. Then you would have gone into a seven-year tribulation. Then there would have been the second advent. And that's how Jesus sets up his kingdom. During the tribulation, uh, John the Baptist would have been... If, if, if they would have received John the Baptist preaching back here, John the Baptist would have been Elijah, which was prophesied that Elijah is going to be there in the tribulation. And Moses, the two witnesses. The two witnesses will show back up. They'll be there. They'll preach. There'll be the second advent. And this is how the kingdom is set up. It's not his servants fighting. Jesus comes and fights. And we ride behind him. But you know what would have happened? There never would have been the mystery church age. The church age is a mystery. Now follow me for just a second. Because I've been saying this for weeks now, that this is a dispensational study of the book of Acts, and I don't think everybody is, is really, I don't think that you are, that you trust me. That's why I'm doing this. Can I just be honest? And I don't, I don't blame you. If, if it's easy for me to talk you into something, it's easy for somebody to talk you out of it. I'm so thankful, first of all, I can say this while my wife is not here. She is, let's not say stubborn, okay? Persistent. And she gets it from her mother. She is, when you, she is bulldogmatic about what she believes. You are not, I couldn't change her mind. She's been taught right, been taught well. You are not going to change her mind. That is a good thing where I come from, I think. Because if you can, you know, bull somebody into something, and you, somebody else can bull them right out of it. So I want you to be thoroughly convinced of this. And just pray. Say, Lord, is this right? Is this right? Okay, let's just say now, Acts chapter 7, we know what happened. They didn't receive him. You know what happens later on? Uh, we'll go through this progress in the book of Acts, a dispensational turning away from the, the Jews, turning to the Gentiles. And what you have is you have a 2,000-year mystery church age. Now, this is going to make your, give you goose pimples. This is going to make you like want to get out of your seat and shout hallelujah or something. <laughs> Who else is there in Acts chapter 7 when this happens? I'm telling you, if they would have accepted Stephen's preaching, it would have been a different story. The church age would not have happened. 
who else is there on that day in Acts chapter 7? Look, yeah, look at it in verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul was consenting unto his death. Yep. God doesn't have a time for Yep. We have time for That's the conclusion you're getting to. And he already knows the conclusion. But no, let's make sure we wrap it up, Chris. No, no, just hold on to that. And then when we wrap it up, tell us all that again. No, 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 it's good. See, I, I, you know what I like about that? It doesn't bother me. If you wonder, wonder if Pastor John gets annoyed with that. No. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? Okay, so just, it's good. I'm glad. If not, I'd be the only person standing there saying this. Exactly. Yes. So, who else is there in Acts chapter 7? I mean, this is just too cool for Sunday school, like Brother Griffiths would say. You know who's there? Saul. And God, I think this is what happened. Now, again, take this as a grain of salt. And I think we're allowed to have liberty to kind of wonder about these things and kind of use a sanctified imagination. But you see what happened. There they are. God's watching what's happening because Jesus stands up. We're going to talk about why he stands up. He stands up. He's watching what's happening. He sees that his, his uh, first martyr and his message is being rejected. And so right there, the Holy Spirit pricks the conscience of a young man named Saul. And Jesus said, all right. He knew it was going to happen anyways, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen if they take this path, what's going to happen if they take that path. And he says, I'm going to start dealing with Saul right now. And when later on, when Jesus knocked Saul down on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What was he talking about? Saul from that day remembers watching Stephen and his face like an angel and his courage. And also that Stephen died just like Jesus. He died. Somebody else took his life, you know, and he died saying, Father, forgive them, asking God to forgive his enemies of their sins against him. He saw this and he couldn't get away from it. And the Holy Spirit was dealing with him. And so the Holy Spirit, from this point, instead of taking, you know, Stephen and the message of Peter to the Jews, he, t- he goes a different route and he takes Saul. And you say, what's so important about Saul? Well, Saul eventually becomes Paul. And to Paul was given the mysteries of the church age. Yeah. And Saul was persecuting the Jews, or the Christians, and killing them. Is what he would, he would do, yes. That would be his career. And God looked to Saul and he says, there's a man I can use. And isn't that crazy? Two men right here. Stephen and Saul. Two different directions that God could take. Depending on what the Jews did. Depending on their free will in that aspect. So God goes with Saul because they reject Stephen. God gives Saul the mysteries. You say, what's the mysteries? A mystery is something that's hidden in the Old Testament 
and revealed in the new. No one knew about the church. This is the mystery church age. No one knew about this. You say, what do you mean? Okay, look. If the mystery church never happened, it wouldn't change this book. This book never prophesied in the Old Testament about the church. Isn't that incredible? That way, in case they accepted him, God didn't have to do the church age. That'll blow your mind. Guess what's got to happen? <laughs> the tribulation's got to happen. Because it's prophesied in the Old Testament. Guess what's got to happen? The kingdom age. The kingdom dispensation. It's got to happen. Because it's prophesied in the Old Testament. The church is not. It's amazing. However, uh, when now with the knowledge that we have, we look back in the Bible, and we see the whole Bible from the very beginning to ending, leading up to the culmination of Jesus being glorified for his amazing grace, you know. So, now look at uh, any, well, now, once we've said that, any questions, and then let's do the summary. Any questions about that? Any questions about that? I'll tell you this about, you have two ways of looking at this Bible. You have dispensational theology. Theology just means the study of God. And you have covenant theology. Covenant theology, I would not follow that um, from here to my car. I wouldn't follow covenant theology. The covenant theology says that we replace Israel. God's all done with the Jews, period. We replace Israel. And there is no literal physical kingdom. And covenant theology also teaches that you lose your salvation. You can forfeit your salvation. Um, And I wouldn't follow that. Because if you're going to believe the Bible, you say, how do you become a dispensationalist? Do you follow a dispensational Baptist preacher? No. Pick up your Bible, start to read it from cover to cover, and read it like you read your newspaper. Well, you can't trust that these days. Read it like you might read a medical journal or something like that. Well, you can't hardly trust that these days. Some of it you can. Read it like you might read a magazine on gardening or birds. (laughs) Okay? Read it literally. That's my point. Literally. Believe what God said as he said it, where he said it. And you'll be a dispensationalist. You might not even call yourself that, but you will be. Okay, so what's the conclusion on the whole thing? Because you you tidied it up right there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get ahead. No, it was good. What was it? Yes. Who is my people? My people is the Jews. He still wants the Jews to come in, but they reject him. Mm-hmm. So what he does, he sets a timeline. But he doesn't have a timeline. We have a timeline. Mm-hmm. He sets it apart. Two thousand years. I'm coming back because I'm going to take care of you. But I'm going to set. I'm going to have the Apostle Paul come in and teach this to the Gentiles. So mm-hmm. they accept it. You did. You're accepting that teaching. So mm-hmm. here. Right. That's 7,000 years. Yeah, so that's a week. We're, we're coming up close to this. And now, so he's going to, he's going to keep part of those Jews.
Okay, that's good. Thank you. And God was offering to the Jews all the way up to this point right here. He's offering to the Jews what? He's offering the kingdom. Offering the kingdom. Okay, so just think about this as the kingdom, God's dealing with his people, special people, the nation Israel. God rejects Israel. When I say that, I mean this. He's no longer offering the kingdom to them. And he's not dealing with his nation anymore until the tribulation period. So God rejects the Jews and starts offering the free grace of God to the Gentiles, right? So now that's a different dispensation. It's under the free grace of God. And God is just saying, if you want in, come on in, because my people rejected me, and I'm going to lavish you with my grace and make them jealous. He says that's why he does it, book of Romans. I'm going to make my people jealous. I'm going to lavish my grace on you. Okay, let me give you one more before we... We'll look at just a couple of verses. We'll look at a couple of cross-references. Jesus is going about preaching, right? And remember that woman came to him, Syrophoenician woman? She's a Gentile woman, right? Disciples are like, let's get her out of here. Jesus was ignoring her because it wasn't her time yet. The gospel is just for the Jews, just the kingdom gospel. And he said to his disciples, go not to the Gentiles. He actually told them that. Do not go to the Gentiles with this message. Why? Because it's not for them. They're going to be destroyed before he sets up his kingdom. Not all of them, but all of the kingdoms that hate the Jews will be. So go not to the Gentiles. Samaritans hate the Jews. Romans hate the Jews. Don't go to them. He says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But this Syrophoenician woman comes following along, and she's just begging, Jesus, do something about this issue of blood. I've given all my money to the doctors. And uh, he said, look, it's not meat for me. It's not appropriate. It's not fitting for me to give the bread, of the children's bread, to dogs. He called her a dog. You know why? She was a Gentile dog. What do you call a female dog? He says, it's not appropriate for me to give the bread to the dogs. You guys, you guys are listening now. Amen. I just feel like being a little bit ornery today. And she says, yes, true master. But even the dogs can eat a little bit of the crumbs that fall off the master's table. What did she do? She humbled herself. I'm just a sinful Gentile. And you know what he said? He said, he praised her. You know, he probably said what he said a little tongue in cheek, but, you know, just so his, so his disciples heard it. And he praised her and he says, oh, woman, great is thy faith. And he said, I wish, this is my own words, he said, I wish my own people would have that kind of faith. But they don't, they're rejecting me. And so he blessed her clean out of her dispensation. He did something for her there that he wasn't planning on doing. So... Um, now, uh, as we close this study on the Mosaic dispensation, 
This is the final rejection of the kingdom gospel that was given by John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Jesus died under the law. So in order to see this, let's look at Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 13, and Colossians 2, and then we'll pray and stop. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. And so Jesus Christ died under the law. And he died to fulfill the law and take the penalty of the law so that we could get into the free grace of God and not be under the curse and the condemnation of the law if we come to him. So he died to set us free because the letter kills. And all the law says to us, it's just like like C.H. Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher from London. He said the Ten Commandments are like ten great cannons that are pointed at us. And we, we have the death penalty because of the law, but Jesus died under the law to free us from that. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So he redeemed us. He, he bought us back. He purchased us with his own blood. He, he was made a curse for us on the law, on the tree. You see that? Now look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Turn to Colossians with me, please, to chapter 2, and then look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, and then let me find my reference again, and 14. So Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, blotting out, so this talks about what he did for us on the cross again blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. That's the law. So it was contrary to us. It was against us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Doesn't mean that God is done with the law at all. No, now he uses the law to preach the gospel, to show men their lostness. It's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Christ died under the law, under the curse of the law, to redeem us. Let's look at one last one, Romans chapter 2. Paul explains it so beautifully in the book of Romans chapter 2, with all of his skill and all of his gifts, he, he explains this. And uh, let's look at verse 17, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now, Paul is dealing with these Jews. They call themselves Jews, and they say, we don't need Jesus because we've got Moses in the law. Paul deals with them in Romans chapter 2. And he says in verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law. You're resting in that. And making your boast of God, and knowest His will, which only condemns you because you know more than other people, and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law, so they got a great advantage over the Gentiles, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, now he's speaking sarcastically, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, you, you're a teacher of babes, 
which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law, it's just an outward form, outward religious show, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest not thyself, thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? He's saying, you're hypocrites. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through the breaking of the law, dishonorest thou God? You can imagine his tone of voice. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He says, verse 25, circumcision availeth nothing, keeping the law. And uh, then verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, he's talking about people who are not Jews, being more righteous than the Jews, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And so on and so forth. And Paul goes on to talk about how in the law, they made their boast of it, when Jesus Christ had provided a righteousness that came not by the law, but by faith. And people who keep the faith of Jesus Christ, who walk in it, you know, are actual followers of Jesus Christ, we fulfill the righteousness of the law. We fulfill the righteousness of the law. And so what happens is Jesus Christ died under the curse of the law, and he, he was able to end that dispensation and fulfill all of the righteousness. Let's go ahead and pray.